0: Greetings and welcome to our second part of our Bill and Ted trilogy. Today we have the, the fun pleasure of talking about the second installment, Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Returning to take part in this adventure is uh, our good friend of the show, John Rowe. How's it going, John? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, pretty what solid. You got, yeah, what do you got going
1: on today? Uh, just a bit of moving. It's uh, raining down in Austin, which... Uh, anybody from Austin knows that rain's a good thing. So I'm loving it. Uh, it's kind of giving me an excuse not to move. So, uh, yeah, just gonna take it easy today.
0: So, what does that mean? You're gonna put up your, uh, your, your wall of fame, if you will, all your different Tottenham jerseys or what? I am curious. Uh, perhaps
1: it, you know, it's pretty cool. It's, It's pretty nice. Um, but today was more about laundry, you know, getting the, uh, the dresser and all the, you know, shirts. I'm gonna go shirt. Shirt jeans for the third floor, you know. So it's like you start up top and you end down bottom, just like how you dress it, you know. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. That that's how I organize. So it's just a bit of that today, but yeah, it's a break from that. I'm taking you know a little time off from that and uh, looking forward to the
0: bogus journey. Did you have an opportunity to rewatch this film? I did. Yeah. Okay. You want to take us through what your thoughts are? Who's in the movie? What's the movie about?
1: Okay, sure. So it follows Bill and Ted. They've graduated from high school at this point. They're working for a pretzel company. Uh, they're trying to get the band off the ground. They know their prophecy, and they're a bit frustrated without the instant success. So that's kind of where the movie starts. Um, a lot of the same characters they brought back, which I appreciate in any sequel. George, uh,
0: George Carlo was back as Rufus. And... Um, Again, still only just a few lines. You see in the you see him in the beginning, and then you see him again at the end.
1: Yep, but uh, but yeah, that's where the movie starts. I don't know how much further you want me to
0: go with it. In essence, you, you kind of hit the, the bullet points. Basically, as you stated, a couple of years have picked up, and they are not the the uh, the world beaters that we thought that maybe they would be. But this one kind of picks up with them auditioning for a battle of the band all the while 700 years into the future we've met our first villain if you will in this series because when you think about it bill and ted the excellent adventure there really wasn't a villain in that film right sure yeah you um time yeah you know, time. like
1: you know ted's dad you know maybe <laughs> uh but
0: no there isn't there isn't a villain that's a good yeah. point I mean, there are forces of antagonism, sure, but we don't have, like, to use that, that phrase, a big bad. There is no big bad in Excellent Adventure, but this one, we've got a couple. We've got a couple in this one, and I think we'll start with the one from the future, Denomalous, Rufus' yeah. old teacher. He, sure, thought thought to be dead. Thought to be dead, Yeah. So he's got this mastermind plan that he is going to send two robot versions of Bill and Ted to 1991, 700 years into the past to essentially ruin their lives and kill Bill and Ted and create a new timeline of history. One that Anomalous has dubbed... Actually, does he have a phrase for it? Other than just... His. The, yeah, his, his future. Yeah, his future, yeah. yeah.
1: But, I mean, I think it's... Pretty obviously, he kind of represents the industri- military-industrial complex. Like, he's that future of the mm-hmm. the world. Uh, yeah, I think we've seen that plenty of times yeah. uh, within futuristic films. Um, and Bill and Ted kind of represent, uh, the robot uses uh, kind of represent AI. Yeah. Because they are like Bill and Ted. They've kind of adapted the same mannerisms, even when he's not around. Right, Yeah.
0: But they do still follow orders, so. It's true. It is funny, though, that even when nobody is watching them, they still have the same Bill and Ted mannerisms. They're just evil. Yeah, they're just evil versions of Bill and Ted and in robot form. That's their programming. Yeah, that's how they're. You totally programmed us. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> they they run into the real Bill and Ted. And after they've already had, they impersonated the the princess babes, and had them break up with the real-life Bill and Ted. So let me backtrack, because it it gets a little wonky if you've never seen this movie. So Denomalous gets these two robot versions of Bill and Ted to go back to 1991. Rufus essentially throws a guitar on top of the phone booth and hops down into the time portal as well. Interestingly enough, because...
1: We do see, spoiler Rufus plays a character in disguise, but we see, I can't remember what her name is right at this moment, but the woman who's hosting the Battle of the Bands. We see her, who is Rufus, and then later on we see Evil Bill and Ted Land. So they went through the portal. Rufus later, I guess, and somehow he still arrived earlier than them. Is that just Rufus knowing the time be- better? Yeah, on the he, ways.
0: You know, he he knows it all. He, he's Rufus. And the sure. the one that you're talking about, the actress is Pam Greer sure. from '70s fame. You know, all the the, uh, the black exploitation movies, and uh, that Tarantino brought back into stardom with uh, Jackie Brown. She plays yeah. Miss Wardro which is funny because basically it's wardrobe. They just drop the B um, because it's Rufus in disguise in her wardrobe. So it's Miss Wardrobe portrayed by Pam Greer anyway. But yeah, as uh, we've been both kind of uh, alluding to it. So we're back in 1991 and these two evil robot versions of Bill and Ted essentially are there to sabotage everything Bill and Ted related. So the first thing they do is they break up their relationship the second step is they are going to kidnap Bill and Ted, take him to the desert and throw him off a mountain essentially
1: sure. right yeah yeah the mountain I think they see in the Star Trek episode they're watching
0: yeah yeah, which is really cool how they how they were able to find that so they succeed they kill Bill and Ted so our our protagonists are now dead and we join them in the the afterlife they um they cheat death to begin they with. Do. Well, they before do. before they even cheat death, they meet death, right? And they then go to hell. And but they but they did get one over on on death right away by what was the first what was the first thing they did to them?
1: Well, they say Melvin. It, right. It, I called it giving somebody a wedgie. I believe I I want to say it's the same thing, right? Yeah. 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 They,
0: they Melvin'd with a with a wedgie. Absolutely. Yep.
1: I feel like that's one reason why, in a way, I'm curious, I think Bill and Ted would have been taken straight to heaven, but be, but because they kind of ran, you know, like, you know, running from the cops, you know, like death is like, nope, you, you know, you shouldn't have done that. So they went to hell instead. Yeah. They got, they got sent there by Missy.
0: Yeah. During a seance. So Bill and Ted, who, who essentially escaped death by giving him a wedgie, they- they come with a plan like, hey, you know, we have to possess people. So, they, they first try to possess uh, Ted's father and uh, a sergeant at the police station. That really doesn't work. So, then no. they, do, they go to Missy, who coincidentally is just happening to have a, a seance. They essentially freak out Missy, and Missy curses them to hell, essentially. Yeah. Then we meet, we meet Satan, and uh, everything seems okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah yeah he seems like an okay dude he got a bad rap yeah exactly and so they ask they ask satan hey can you send us back and he's like i forget i forget the exact verbiage he uses but he says something that you can go
1: you, yeah yeah that's and, it pretty much it's like yeah you may go
0: yeah but really what he does is he drops him into kind of like this Tunnel system, if you will, and there are just a series of doors. And within each door is their own personal hell. And this is where the movie, I think, actually gets kind of interesting because this movie, as opposed to the the first one, which is going traveling through time, this one, as I kind of alluded to at the end of last episode, this one's a lot more metaphysical. So we're we're dealing with the afterlife, and we're dealing with people's own versions of hell. And I think that's really where this movie, for me, gets a bit more interesting sure it's it's kind of comical and you know you're not really supposed to take much of this movie seriously but i think i think it's a nice little touch yeah
1: i uh, totally agree i think you know watching this movie for the first time i was very young and you watch the comical things like the bouncing bunny and the old grandmother and you relate to those things right but as you get, you get older and you think a little bit more about the afterlife and after you've gone through loss and you, you have friends and people, you know, who are in the afterlife, you know, and you've hoped they're doing well. And you're curious about what it will bring to you. And I think this is one of those movies that it's a very, I thought both heaven and hell were portrayed in a very Western, but like, that's kind of what a lot of people believe hell would be like. And mm-hmm. um, how, you know, if you go to the grave with guilt or, you know, you'll, carry those things on and you could live in that forever that's an own personal hell
0: yeah so i guess one of the things we'll talk about are who are some of the i don't know the uh the physical embodiments of those that they meet in hell so we finally meet colonel Oates for the first time we are introduced to his character in excellent adventure but we we have now meld uh but now we have met him and he's portrayed by the actor chelsea ross who if you ever saw the movie Major League, he plays like the aging <laughs> picture in that film. And he plays Colonel Oates and he instructs them to drop and give them infinity push-ups, yep. <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. They they escape that that door and then they go into their alter their their own individual doors. And Bill goes into his
1: grandmother's birthday, where she gives him a kiss, and Ted goes into an Easter where he steals Deacon's Easter basket. Yeah, that's the one where I feel like he's filled with guilt in that one. Yeah, because he and
0: he's essentially being chased around by the, the Easter bunny, and and then Bill is being forced in a, like his grandmother's birthday to give his grandmother a kiss, and she is just absolutely disgusting.
1: I feel like, once again, like, as a child, it's like, that's scary. But then, like, looking back, it's like, I had a lot of great aunts and grandmothers who, you know, resembled her in ways, wore makeup, and would have lipstick on any glass they ever drank, you know? I
0: felt like I knew ladies like that. I, I th- when I think of, like, my grandmother at a young age, I remember, I just remember, like, yeah lipstick that i didn't really particularly care for and then you want to
1: drink this no grandma's got your lipstick yeah exactly
0: yeah (laughs) and her perfume so like my grandmother's perfume like my, my my father's mother that is so like her perfume and her lipstick which was like oddly like a dark pink you know not quite purple not quite red but like a like a dark pink that just never yeah sit right and now that I think about it like some of the, the worst kisses I ever think I ever got as a child was those from my grandmother it was just <laughs> gross They're, they always felt a little bit wetter than they probably should have been R.I.P. Louise. <laughs> R.I.P.
1: Yeah Mama Jean rest in peace love you anyways so yeah they um they get in so they realize those are their own personal hell and so they realize the only way to get out of it is to play the reaper and, and then, well i was gonna just gonna bring up in the reaper we have a great other actor a guy named i think it's william sandler sadler sadler, sadler thank you mm-hmm. sadler people who've seen shawshank redemption or like the tv show roswell yeah uh, would all recognize this actor but uh he plays the reaper and i think it's fun that they get to choose their own game
0: you know, I think that does kind of level the playing field. If he only got to play him in chess, he'd, he'd probably be pretty good. So a couple things on that. So one, like chess, obviously that was like a no to the the, the Seventh Seal. Yeah. So like the 1960s or 50s film, The Seventh Seal, where the the knight, uh, I think he was the knight, uh, <clears throat> challenges death to a match of chess. And that was like his way to fend off Death is if like this game never ended, then he wouldn't die. Essentially, right?
1: Uh, the yeah, I think throughout the chess match, he realized he was going to die, and he was about saving the people. I think it was a representation of the Black Plague,
0: right? Yep, uh, good film. Yeah, so a little a little nod to that. Another thing with William Sadler. For those that have listened to this podcast, I reference the actor once upon a time as somebody that also was in this. Uh, Steven Seagal movie, I believe it was called Hard to Kill, and he plays like a politician in that film and he's got like this this catchphrase that he uses that Steven Seagal uses later on, but like his catchphrase is, and you can take that to the bank. <laughs> Who then Steven Seagal later on says, I'm gonna take you to the bank. <laughs> the blood bank. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> a little nod to uh, William Sadler, who we've referenced before. So I'm I'm glad that we're able to see him. William Sadler, for the most part, is very much a serious actor, and I think pun intended, he absolutely killed the, his portrayal of death. I thought he was brilliant. You know, very much a serious actor, but his comedic chops and his comedic chops in this one were really good.
1: Yeah, I thought he was great. I think in some ways. Cause comedy can transition. Some people might seem as over the top now, but it's also important to look at film of what was funny. Then I, there was a part I want to say when I can't remember if it's evil bill or the regular bills, but I think it's the evil bills, but they go not, which is a kind of from Wayne's world. And it was like in the nineties saying, blah, 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 this not that used to just be a punchline. Um, and I don't know if people f- find that as funny today, but I thought the Reaper was fantastic. Um, I, l- I love how jealous he can get. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he he really brought a you know kind of brought more out of the character. He wasn't one dimensional.
0: No, no, he uh, he has a lot of in- a lot of insecurities in this film, <laughs> and it's really funny because he's playing death, and uh, yeah, just a lot of fun. I want to take a step back for a second. If I sound a little weird, I'm rocking like a hardcore uh, cold going on right now. We don't think it's COVID. I feel fine. I just got a little little head cold going on. So we had to reschedule this podcast. We were going to shoot it last night. So thank you very much, John, for rescheduling today and let me do it uh, this afternoon. That being said, we still had to have a little something to drink for shooting this episode. I mean, we are doing Bill and Ted, right? So what are you drinking today there, John?
1: Sure, yeah. I got just some Doseckis. It's a nice, cool drink. I think it's great in the Texas heat, and uh, it's not that hot outside. Alongside that, I got a little Austin tap water. Austin's got real good water. So, uh, anyways, those are the two drinks I'm going with. Nice stuff, Andrew.
0: So, because you brought up topo, I had to have topo for today. Uh, from Yeah, last episode, you were drinking topo, so I need to rock my topo. And you had mentioned that you were going to be drinking Doseckis, and I don't have any Dos Equis, but my mom was here this past weekend and she's a fan of the Corona. So I am <laughs> drinking Corona right now.
1: Nice. It does look more tropical. Like if I was to look at that, I could imagine that could be a beach in Bermuda. You know, I could imagine that could be a beach anywhere. I think as their slogan is, you know, find your beach. So anyways.
0: Yeah, I I like that. I like that. Now you mentioned Bermuda and we'll get back to uh, Bill and Ted here in a second. but. Drinking Corona, and I'm not as much of a a fan of Corona in my adulthood as I probably was in my childhood, but when I drink Corona, it does take me back to being like 16 and 17 years old on those like summer days with my, with my friends and everything. And Bermuda, the drinking age is 18. So of course at 16, 17, getting a case of beer really wasn't too hard to come by and I'm pretty sure that was the, the, the beer of choice back then. I think it was either Corona or Guinness or this Carlsberg, uh, this Carlsberg beer called Elephant. Have you ever heard of Elephant beer? Nope. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen them anywhere other than in Bermuda. But anyway, all right. Moving back to Bill and Ted. William Sadler, cheers to him. and his, yeah, uh, cheers his, to his him. yeah, absolute killer performance in this one. All right, long story short, they 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 challenge uh, death, they beat him several times before he finally finally uh, relinquishes, because death isn't really a very good loser um, not nope. not a good loser at all. So he takes them to heaven and they finally get in front of God, and they say, "Hey, we need someone to help help us out defeat our evil robot uses." and mm-hmm. God says, "All right, you know, station which is a which we come to find out is a like a Martian creation, like a Martian alien who is the, the smartest mind around, right?
1: Sure, I believe he was playing charades with Albert Einstein. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was Confucius, but uh, you know, other. I think Benjamin Frank, Franklin was there, but other interesting individuals. So yeah, he would be he would be amongst the great minds, I suppose. Right.
0: And he's playing charades. And what was the what was the uh, what was he thinking about in charades? Smokey and the Bandit. Smokey and the Bandit 3.
1: But then I thought thought he's like, they stand up and says Smokey is the Bandit. Yeah. Is Smokey and the Bandit 3, is it subtitled Smokey is the Bandit?
0: I don't know. I, I admittedly have only seen the original Smokey and the Bandit. So I don't know. But another sequel that Williams or aka Death had referenced earlier was uh, Butch and Sundance to early years. Years, yeah. And everybody was very, very disappointed. Just again, another another moment where death really just doesn't fit in anywhere in this world.
1: No, I, in whenever they go to Fine Station, he apologizes to God. He said they melted me. Yeah. So that's that was one of those things that I thought was a sign that he was supposed to bring him to heaven. Like right. death's this guy who's not really welcome into heaven. He doesn't really go to hell. He's by himself and alone. His only thing is to help people go to their destination.
0: Right. So they, they wrangle up station and they go to the, the nearest hardwood, uh, hardware, hardwood, hardware store and they assemble a bunch of things. And station builds a couple good robot versions of Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. And in a they, van? In a van, yep. In the the Wild Stallions van, right? Sure,
1: green. I imagine that would have been the 69 van that they would have taken to the future had they done, used the van instead of the telephone
0: booth. Yeah, good call. And the, the same writers that wrote the original did write this one here, too. Cool. Yeah. Um, Let's see. And so they get to the Battle of the Vans, and... It's uh, it's finally their turn to go, and then we find out that the evil robot Bill and Ted are going to tank the battle of the bands, and they are going to kill the girls. And just when everything seems bad, the good versions of Bill and Ted show up. The robot versions then kill the good robot versions, then kill the bad robot versions, and Station saves the girls and everything is good to go, but then they realize that they, they still can't play, right?
1: No. Before that, the, the grand evil person shows up. Oh, that's right. Up. I forgot about Denomalous. Yeah. Del- Den- yeah, Denomalous. And he wants everybody to see them end. So he, he hooks into the worldwide network with his space future, and everybody in the world is now watching. And from then they play the time traveling game, which they did in the first film Right. of how Bill and Ted are going to go back to the past and set everything up. Interestingly enough, it, it apparently be the, it's like the one thing they remember. Like if they're going <laughs> like to get graded on their time travel, it's like F F F B for captures and an A for actually going back and doing it after class, you know, like they right. actually go. Uh, so they play a little time traveling game, which they win. And we all know from seeing the future, they do win. Right. Then they're going to rock out, but they don't know how to play.
0: Yeah. So they have to go back in in the past for like 18 months in practice. And they finally come back and they play. They got a couple boys. Yeah. I think 16
1: months minus a two-week honeymoon in Fiji. Bill's got a kick-ass... Uh, Zz top beard, right? And, and Ted, what do you think
0: he was going for? Like a Chris Cornell look, or I don't know. It, it, was, it was kind of like because he, it's like what, what do they call Navarro? it? Like a, like like a Fu Manchu type thing is what he had yeah. going on. And uh, but yeah, it, kind of like Dave Navarro look, right? Yeah, I, I think that's probably with like with a wider mustache. Um, but yeah, and then they play, and it transcends everywhere and.
1: And you get a good telling of the future.
0: Yep, you get a good telling of the future. And then we are, we are reunited with Rufus, who we find out he, Miss Wardrobe, the person who got them onto the, the Battle of Bands in the first place, was there the whole time. And you mm-hmm. would think that he could have done something and helped out. But no, that's, that's, that's not no. Rufus's job, as we talked about in the last one. His job is just to be there in the beginning and be there at the end and look cool while doing it, right? Sure.
1: Well, I guess that's his job. Like I mean, his job's seven hundred years in the future. He's some sort of time cop, kind of helper, right. you know, time Jedi, I don't know what you want to call it. But he doesn't interfere with time that much. But at the beginning, when Denomalus comes in, he's like, This is the second meeting, which I still haven't seen the third film. I'm curious if there's a third meeting of importance. But uh anyway, um, But him and Rufus have a conversation, teacher and pupil, where he's just like, time will tell, and Rufus says, time has told. And that's really where it kind of goes back to the time game they play later, Bill and Ted did win that, and I guess that's the reason why they're able to go back and forth.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's good. So, you know, I think we did a little bit better this time of doing the the, the plot summary on this one than uh, when we did Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. I'm getting better at this. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I, I'm really excited for next episode when we do Face the Music. I think we're gonna have this down to a science, right? Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. So, I guess really the question I have for you is, what did you think of, of Bogus Journey?
1: I thought it was pretty good. Like I said, I think it's more of a... It's not as fun. There's thoughts of... People talk often about the sequels being better than the original. And if it makes that category. And um, Bogus Journey growing up was always the one that failed compared to Excellent Adventure. But looking at it now, I think it's the movie that has more questions or makes you kind of scratch your head. Excellent Adventure is a fun ride, but this one kind of dives a little deeper. Uh, maybe that's the reason why it is less fun and less attractable.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's a, I think you nailed a couple really uh, key points there. Now, critically, this movie wasn't as well received as bogus journey, a rather excellent adventure. Excellent adventure had like an over 80% um, approval on rotten tomatoes, where this one has like a 56 and Audiences have been mostly favorable. It has developed a little bit more of a cult following over time. At the box office, it wasn't quite as successful. It was profitable, but this movie didn't necessarily live up to some of the the other goals that were that were uh, kind of put forth by Excellent Adventure. And I've got a couple potential theories, but I think my main theory really also stems from the fact that like the that quote-unquote like buddy comedy stoner film type thing when this movie came out this now would have been like the third or fourth version from bill and Ted into back to the future into wayne's world where at this point when this movie would have come out back to the future was the original right but then they had part two and part three which came out just after i want to say excellent adventure wayne's world came out around the same time as this movie if i'm not mistaken i'm gonna let you speak for a second i'm just gonna fact check my math on this one but i certainly know that wayne's world as an snl show had happened at this point no okay so it had happened the the uh the tv show on snl had happened but the movie didn't come out until 92 where so that just that just puts my theory to complete shit. But maybe maybe because of the success that Wayne's World was having on SNL, that could have potentially put a little dampen on the idea that that stoner that stoner journey of Bill and Ted. I don't know. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think when I think of that cast of SNL, I think it's the greatest of all time, and I people are watching that every weekend. Uh, I mean, I must have been seven, but I was still allowed to watch it. And uh, I don't think anybody puts Bogus Journey in like the, oh, everybody watched it in the same category of Sandlot growing up or wow. Princess Bride or Goonies. Yeah. You know, there are some things that are completely watchable. SNL was it. Uh, so I definitely, whenever I watch the film and they go not – I think they're referencing Wayne's world. Oh, mm-hmm, I, th- mm-hmm. I think that's a scriptwriter kind of putting in, it, in a way I think Bill and Ted, it's they do these stereotypical jokes and I can laugh at that now because they're just kind of like playing the part and I'm watching them just kind of like, Oh, that's kind of how it was. Those were the jokes back then. Um, it There's a kind of a difficult conversation. I I don't know if you'd want to have or not about some of the things they say in the movie
0: um i don't know i i'm not entirely sure are you talking about are you talking about like fag is that what you yeah
1: basically it is that's a part where i think every kind of high school kid might say that do that but anyways it watching the show you never see that now yeah it happens like oh ha that's that's kind of what it was like to be back then you know that It's a punchline joke.
0: Yeah. There are a couple. And now, you know, there are, there are a couple jokes that obviously date themselves. And, uh, I think just the, the punchline fag as a whole has not aged well. And there have been many, many really good movies in the eighties and nineties. And then shit, maybe even to like the American pie movies in the, the late nineties, early two thousands, where fag was a joke, right? Um, but well, I, I think growing
1: up, it was part of the culture we were in. Yeah. I think it was it, quote unquote, some people have used the term locker room humor. Right. Like it, it was a common enough phrase, uh, yeah. more common than other word, bad words, but either way. Um,
0: yeah. No, no, no. I I, I still think it, it you, you bring up an interesting point of things that, that age well and things that don't age well. And you can still enjoy a movie and still find things about the movie that mm, not necessarily okay, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and certainly that, that brand of humor isn't really good. I mean, uh, a movie that was used in in, a movie in the late nineties that I think is pretty well-revered that I thoroughly enjoyed was can't hardly wait. And there's a, a bit in the movie later on where like the, the, um, like the jock of the school, like the cool dude, he's having a, uh, he's having a moment and he says something to along the same lines of somebody in there called me a fag, you know, and people kind of like laugh it off. And that, that's, that's a punchline. Even that was a punchline, even in 1997. And I'm pretty sure Stifler used that reference several times in like an American pie movie. So, and, and obviously we, we, it, not to say that we're in an age of political correctness because I don't think it's really a matter of being politically correct. I think there's just a difference between being right and wrong. And there are certain things that just aren't funny when you've got perspective, You know, when, when you've had that moment of perspective to realize, is that really okay? I mean, not that we necessarily really want to go down this rabbit hole, but there are things that age well and things that don't age well. And there are things that were never okay but we're still done because perspective really wasn't really ever considered the whole concept. I mean, shit HBO max. I don't know if you have HBO max right now, but they have pulled like certain movies periodically. Uh, when they, when they launched, they, they pulled gone with a the wind, they pulled gone with a wind and then they reinserted kind of like a little, little warning bar before the movie kind of like explaining historical references that are certainly inappropriate. Shit, my daughter, um, we have her watching Disney things and she was recently watching Peter Pan. Peter Pan, right? Great classic cartoon, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Loved it. One of the songs in the movie is we're off to fight the engines you know, and they're, they're, they're just singing it. Like we're off to fight the engines, you know, and another song in the movie is called what makes the red man red again. You know uh, that movie was made in the 1950s, maybe 1960s. In the lens of 2020, certainly not appropriate, quite frankly, it shouldn't have been appropriate in the 1950s, but it we're we're flawed, man. Um, and you know, Do you skip past that next time? You and your daughter
1: want to watch Peter Pan? Um, hit, that, hit the skip.
0: If I can remember it, you know. Fortunately, she hasn't asked to watch that lately. But if if I'm by the TV, I would love to fast forward past that because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not okay with that. But sure. If you go through anything, there are there are tons of of movies, serious or comedy or otherwise that and I I know there's a phrase uh, that is far more eloquent than my meandering is right now, but we, I think we, you know, to borrow something from Bill and Ted, we just need to be excellent uh, to each other, you know? And so I don't know if that got a little bit headier, but I don't know. There might be something beneficial to bringing that up in this podcast. So I'll, I'll, uh, I think, I think bringing that up is good. I think it's good.
1: You know, I know, what, I guess how I'm going to enjoy it, but I thought, feel like a, a part of it is also finding out more about filmmaking or just yeah. the understanding of film and how to watch it. So if somebody is going to listen to this film, you know, I think it's an important thing to know that th- things change. And yeah. I guess watch anything with a grain of salt, you know, you're older, you're also. So anyways, um, it, it was one of the parts I laughed at and then I was like, I, I don't know if, you know, is that even okay? Yeah. If I was in a room full of people, would I laugh at that? You know? So, um, anyways, it was in both films, and I thought, maybe be are talking.
0: Yeah, they, they did uh, drop that in the first movie as well, didn't they? They hacked yeah. each other. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're 100% right. Yeah. So, um, I do want to go back to 1991. I remember watching it around then. I didn't. I don't believe I saw it in the theater, but I certainly saw it when it came to HBO or if it was on VHS at that time. And I, from the first from the first moment I saw it, I enjoyed it. I probably enjoyed it more than the original at that time because at that time I was all about Um, at that time I was all about Back to the Future and sure. any other time traveling movie. Just I couldn't be bothered.
1: That makes sense. Like this one didn't compare to it. And if you kind of watch them at the same time, you could kind of pick one or the other, which one you liked better. You didn't didn't sit around waiting on it.
0: But what I did like about this movie, and I'll let you uh, piggyback, with just before I forget, is this movie came like right out during my metal phase. And I was obsessed with the band Faith No More. And this and, and Faith No More is fe- featured prominently in this movie. They've got posters of Faith No More, Faith No More, the then guitarist of the band Faith No More, um, Jim uh, Jim Martin, or as he was dubbed in the film, James Sir James Martin of yeah. Faith No More. And uh, there's a Faith No More uh, song featured in the movie. So that was enough because the the year before this movie came out, they had their their album The Real Thing, which was like. Shit, I would have been like ten years old, but I was obsessed. I had just only discovered metal, and Faith No More aren't metal in the traditional sense, but it was before grunge, and they they didn't fit into the the same box as a lot of other bands at that time. And so, I guess often Faith No More would be featured on like Headbangers Ball uh, back in the day on, on on MTV, and and they they did this song called Epic, which like owned my entire life from, like, the age of, like, 10 to 13. So, shout-out to Faith No More. Uh, Love them. And the fact they were used in this movie, the movie was always, like, destined to be among my, my childhood favorites.
1: Well, yeah. I actually think that's really where... This film had a better soundtrack than the original film. Agreed. And I do think that this, you know, if anybody wants to pick flaws in this, one thing they can't pick a flaw in the last scene with God, uh, God gave rock and roll to you. Like it is a perfect song to end the movie with. And I just like, as it kind of, it, it just, it sounds great. It just is a, a good ending, but a really a better soundtrack. If people want to say one's better than the other, well, music's better in the second one.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the music in part two is better. Now that song that is already like an exist. That was an existing song before, right?
1: I believe so. I in watching it because I did watch the music video today. Um, it's when they didn't have their makeup on, so I don't know if you know what year they didn't wear their makeup for their music videos. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, but that's one thing where if if it wasn't, it kind of dies me down a rabbit hole of who are some of the best guys who've done songs for movies. Because you know who my top pick is. Who? Brian Adams. Mm-hmm. Everything I do, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and a part of a little trio of Sting and Rod Stewart for "All for Love" and Three Musketeers. So that's <laughs> that's my kind of music, movie, scene guy.
0: If I was going to have a movie, I'm not. I'm not saying that you're wrong because you're. You, you, I mean, you're you're onto something there, but. And it's not really for my tastes, but holy shit, dude. Um, Who was it? Kenny Loggins or, you know, like Danger Zone. And... uh, I thought you were going to
1: go Phil Collins, but yeah, Kenny Loggins. Yeah, Kenny
0: Loggins, right? You've got Danger Zone. You've got um, the... Footloose. Footloose. Uh, Did he do... No, he might have. He might have. Did he do the Caddyshack song? The I'm all right. All right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. you should probably look it up. But I, I'm with you. I think. Yeah.
1: I think you're probably right, man. Voice of a decade, right there.
0: All right. So God gave you rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kiss. That song was Deep. circa. Okay. Well, released 1991.
1: All right. So. Yeah. Well, hey. So it does fit. They are yeah. a band that did a song for a movie.
0: Yep. All right. We're not going to necessarily wrap up the podcast, but do you have any any things before we maybe go into question and notes portion of it?
1: Not really. Don't have a
0: ton of questions this time. Well, I've got a few for you.
1: All right. Go
0: for it. I'm curious. What game would you challenge the Reaper on?
1: Ooh, man. I do love me some chess. So even if you lose, you're like, man, at least I lost to the Reaper. He's the best. Uh... If I could play
0: the Reaper, that is tough. I'll give you a second to think about it.
1: Yeah, man. It's because I'm not going to choose a video. I'm not going to choose a video game because a video game, like I'd also believe the video game, like, oh, maybe it's probably, you know, putting in cheat codes or something,
0: being tall. Well, I'm going to go video game. I'm going Mario Kart 64.
1: Yeah. You trust you like. Technology is the mediator. I guess that's a good way. Like, death hasn't always had electricity and technology.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I'm pretty sure the only person who can beat me in Mario Kart 64 is Ryan Love because that guy can beat ever. He's like, if you could like phone a friend, like, or if you could have somebody fight your battle for you, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm I'm taking Ryan Love. Ryan Love, uh, will would I'm gonna use him to be my 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 player one against death in mario kart 64
1: so given the chance you call it you're like hey sorry right i gotta kill you too because you gotta get us both out of this exactly (laughs) yeah we're playing 64 you're up buddy yeah you're up no that's pretty good uh you know what i I'm just gonna be dumb and I'll just play death and chess. I think hey. it'd be a great game. I think we'd probably have a good conversation. There, there might not even be a clock, you know. So uh, just move and move and talk, you know? All
0: right, I like it. I like it. All right, I am going to give you your your pop quiz now. Are you okay. ready? Sure. All right. So, what games? Yeah. So what games did they choose to challenge the Reaper over when they were in hell?
1: Okay. Battleship. Clue. Uh, Twister. Um, electric football.
0: You got it. That's it. All right. And we've already covered question number two, but we're going to put it in there again. What, mo- uh, what movie were they parroting when they were challenging death?
1: Oh, The Seven Seal. Correct. Uh, can I try to get extra points for I pronounce in the director? Oh, please. Ign- uh, Ign- Igmar Bergman?
0: Igmar- what? Igmar Bergman.
1: Igmar Bergman. Cool. Thought he deserved a shout out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the greatest movies ever made. Question number three. What band did they famously beat at Battle of the Bands? I know this. I thought about asking you earlier about this. Primus. Yeah, I distinctly didn't bring it up at all because I, I wanted to cover this one. Uh, sure. So this would have been at the early stage of Primus. Again, another band that didn't really fit into many bubbles at the time. They weren't necessarily hard rock. They weren't. It, it came before the time of grunge and that that new alternative movement. So Primus was often put into kind of a heavy metal Thing and they weren't traditional heavy metal, but yeah. Uh, fun fact that the the bassist and of course maybe the people that listened to this probably also listened to Primus, so they know this. And I'm probably butchering my facts, but the the, the bassist frontman of Primus, Les Claypool, famously had tried out to be the bassist for the band Metallica, but was rejected. And the urban legend is he was rejected because he was too good. Now, I don't know <laughs> if those are the exact facts, but that is one of the urban legends that Les Claypool was rejected from being uh, the, base, the, the the basis for Metallica because he was too good.
1: Got a lot of crazy stories.
0: Yeah, so... yeah,
1: I, uh, I like that in the film, though. I didn't even need to look it up. Whenever I was watching the film, you could just tell by the way they were singing because they were unique. You're like, yeah. oh, that... that i know who that is this yeah. sounds like you had a race car you know?
0: yeah all right so i mean you might you might go uh perfect on this one so far you're three for three and then you're four for three with your with your with your extra credit that you got so here we go Denomalous was rufus's old teacher what was what was he his teacher for Oof. history no gym but, class. There you go, no. oh, Jim. I love yeah. that the, the big bad for this movie, like when, when you're uh, in a Sit up champion. He's, <laughs> he's like, oh, my old pupil, like my old teacher. And he, you think that it's something serious, and then you find uh, out, yeah. no, it, it, it's his old PE teacher. Yeah. And <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Um, and then true or false, Alex Winter plays Granny Preston. Oh, man. True. That is correct. The perfect score on the pop quiz, sir.
1: Um, okay, I, I think I found something. Okay. How many at the seance that Missy has, how many people can you name
0: that they wanted to call back through history? I didn't write those down because um, I well, thought.
1: I don't want you to check your notes, anyways.
0: Hmm. Gandhi.
1: Uh, Anne Boleyn. Yeah,
0: Anne Boleyn. I remember that. And I, I I just want to go back to. Oh, Missy wanted to bring back Ty Cobb. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is one <laughs> of them.
1: That is uh, one of them. There's is is also Clark Gable.
0: Yep.
1: Yep. Charlemagne. And then I think there's like pres- or President Chester A. Yeah, Arthur. Yeah, <laughs> President <laughs> Chester A. Arthur.
0: Like, I love why? it. It, it, it's so good. This whole scene, you're, they're just saying names, <laughs> and you're wondering where it's going. And, and it comes to Missy, <laughs> and I would like to bring back <laughs> Ty Ty Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Really, really fun. Uh, just really fun screenplay. So again, shout out to the the writers. They they knew this world, and was this movie perfect? No. Is that do you like this movie more than the the first one
1: probably still not um I appreciate this movie a lot more, but it uh, there's probably being a history buff uh the first one also, you know, makes me think a lot of different things like, oh, well, when did they die? You know, is this around the time they, you know, how it would have been different? You know, so there were a lot of right. fun thoughts in that. So, um, I guess it, it's kind of cool in a way that it, it was just a two-parter for so long. And there, I guess in a way, I can see a good yin and yang to it.
0: Yeah. Do you want to, because we didn't do it for the last one. Do we want to, do you want to give it a, a score a score out of 10, like one through 10, or do you want to wait until we, we uh, complete the trilogy and then rate each movie based on the trilogy?
1: Yeah, I think it'd probably be better to wait. It's tough to rate them because, like, I'm so high on them right now, but in a way, if I don't know where they could really rank up. I know they've gone up in my opinion, but right. it's hard, hard to say where I'd rank them. So I almost want to just... By not raking them, it makes it seem like it's just for fun. But uh, let's just wait till after the third one. I bet after the third one, because I still haven't seen it. Uh, i hope I'll get a boost, and we'll see where you know we'll see where it all lies.
0: I like it. Do you have anything any any closing thoughts before we wrap up today?
1: Well, I had a couple questions because I've okay. been avoiding saying this, but can you name another movie with Keanu Reeves where he is meeting with the devil?
0: Yes. Um the the devil is played by Al Pacino and um devil's advocate. Yep. Yeah.
1: My my aim was going to be a common, commonly used phrase by us. I've tried this whole episode not to say devil's advocate. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that's the same feeling you had for primus. Yep. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, good. Yeah, I feel like that's a good re- – yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it, man.
0: And I think that about wraps up this episode. Again, um, we're going to kind of cut this one a little bit short. I've been feeling a little under the weather, but, John, thank you so much for for uh, coming through like a champ to discuss uh, Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Did you have a fun time today? Yeah, I had a great time, man. Good. good. And I'm looking forward. It looks like we're going to be recording – the third part of this trilogy. So I'm really looking forward to see where that's going to go. And obviously for those, if you didn't already know that that's Bill and Ted face the music, have you seen it yet? I've not, I'm really looking forward to it. Cool. Yeah. We'll have a fun discussion on that. So be on the lookout for that episode, everybody. And I guess I think the only way really to end this episode is by quoting William Sadler, AKA death uh, from his very, very great closing line of the film. You may be a King or a street sweeper, but sooner or later,
1: you'll dance with a Reaper. Yeah. Get down with your bad itself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody have a great week and we'll see you next week for bill and Ted face the music. So long everyone.